However, for younger carers, if we're thinking of the four to eight-year-olds, mm. uh, they they also need recognition and support. We try to break down that age barrier uh, by providing an age-appropriate service. Yes, of course. And that's to show these young carers that that we see them and and we notice them. Mm. And I think also too that I, I had a, a lot of young carers say to me, I feel like nobody cares and nobody notices what I'm doing or thinks about me. And that always um, that's always something that I think uh, inspires me to to do what we do at caring kids and what we're attempting to do is is find a way to demonstrate that we do see young carers and recognize and value them and all the care and the love that they provide and we also want to share that sense of pride in their compassion in their resilience and in their maturity uh, that they demonstrate each and every day and we also know that young carers put caring ahead of school their friends and play and we want to keep That is our focus and our mission is, you know, to reconnect young carers to childhood. From the Benevolent Society, we welcome you to the Carer Gateway podcast with your host, Paddy Kekos. Carer Gateway is the Australian Government's national carer hub and provides reliable services, support and advice specifically for carers. This is where we share interviews with guests that have specialised knowledge that will help support carers look after their emotional, mental and physical well-being. We are recording on Aboriginal country, lands which were never ceded. We acknowledge the traditional custodians and cultural knowledge holders of these lands and pay our respects to Aboriginal elders past, present and emerging. Always was, always will be. My lovely carers, how are you? Have you ever wondered how you could possibly support young carers or their parents? Given that every caring role is so unique and young carers' ages and personal interests vary so much, it can be hard to know what type of support is needed, aligned or even sustainable for each person. This is something that today's guest, Margaret Skaggiers, had to consider when she was inspired to start a charity and founded Caring Kids in 2014 to address the practical support needs of young carers. With over 20 years of experience working across government and non-government sectors within Australia and even overseas, Margaret has delivered and coordinated individual, group and community-based programs for children, youth and adults, most recently coordinating community support programs for a leading cancer charity. Her determination to deliver practical support for young carers began after a four-year period delivering emotional support and respite camps for young carers aged between 8 to 26 years. She influenced the inclusion of young carers in national government policy and advocated for services to assist them to complete their education. However, it was the first-hand account of young carers' experiences and the challenges they faced finding practical support that were the inspiration for caring kids. Margaret's got a social work degree from Sydney Uni and also has a Master's of Public Health from the University of New South Wales. The charity she founded is dedicated to providing practical support for young carers aged 18 years or less who provide care for a family member living with a disability or a chronic illness. Caring Kids provides toy boxes to young carers Australia-wide, containing toys, puzzles, games, art and craft materials, stationery, sports equipment and even books. Margaret, 
What kind of people inspired you in your community when you were growing up? When I was growing up, I was surrounded by family members who were very active in our local community. They'd coordinate regular fundraisers and social events, and they had a focus of bringing people together. They'd also host specific fundraisers if there was a family who had a particular need, such as a health issue, and, and then they were able to step in and help the family. There were also strong networks amongst people, and being part of this community brought people friendship and reduce social isolation. I think I was surrounded a lot by this in my younger years and I still enjoy being part of my local community to this day. And is this where you got your fundraising skills from as well? Well, I was involved in assisting with fundraisers in different ways from a young age, whether I was helping out in the kitchen, preparing food for events or participating in the fundraisers as a guest. I also hosted quite a few fundraising events when I was at school and I've been fortunate to work at other charities where I supported other fundraising events. I think fundraising can be challenging and there's still so much I have to learn about how to match the desire people have to help other people and our mission and vision at Caring Kids. It's hard to fundraise or promote yourself when you're self-employed or for an organisation that you founded versus for a company that has many other employers supporting you, isn't it? Absolutely is, yes. And was it your family that would host these fundraisers or these community gatherings? I mean, was it that that inspired you to study social work? Well, actually, I mean, there were so many different uh, different experiences that that influenced me and and led me towards choosing a career in social work. And there's there's one example that that sort of I reflected on recently that led me to go down this path when I was a teenager. Uh, I chose to be part of uh, the Student Representative Council when I was at school because I always had a fire inside me when it came to stepping up and speaking out to make change. And a few of the students at school were invited to attend a a regional leadership and social awareness camp as a delegate from, from our school. I was also chosen. And during that that program, there was an opportunity for students to learn about leadership, life skills and personal development. And these were peer-led sessions, sessions that other students who had attended the year before. The world of self-development opened up to me and I really enjoyed learning and growing within the group work experience. And when we returned to school, the students and I who attended decided to host a day at our school with the learnings that we had made at this camp and write our own program and lead it with the rest of the Student Representative Council. But what I took away from this whole experience was the knowledge that you can develop skills and strategies to manage challenging situations and you can extend your own personal growth and development. This really led me to want to work with other people to support them to achieve similar goals. I was I was totally inspired. That's amazing. That's really incredible. Is this what inspired you to study social work? I think this was one of one of the the, the things that led me towards um, choosing social work. I, I began searching for a degree actually when I was in high school, uh, and I felt that social work would open the door to me being able to work in a variety of settings, whether it was with individuals, community, possibly policy or advocacy, whether it was government or non-government. I, I felt there would be so many options where I could find the right place to be of service to others in many different ways. You chose well. What were some of your social work roles? So uh, I, I started off uh, when I when I finished uni taking a role in a community health centre where I had uh, completed my student placement the year before. Oh, lucky. So you were already familiar with everyone and they also already knew you. Absolutely. And I think uh, some incredible people where I, where I began my first sort of uh, 
you know, paid social work experience. Um, and prior to that, I'd also done a student placement in a youth health centre. So I I could tell from that time that I had a real passion for supporting uh, people and, uh, and working within the health setting as well. And uh, once I sort of found my feet there, uh, I also realised there was so much to learn in the area of health promotion. I was able to support individuals, facilitate group programs, and these were in areas including grief and loss, trauma, separation and divorce, and I also supported clients facing drug addiction. Soon after that, I moved to the UK and I worked for social services in child protection and then a role in a public health unit in the local health authority. This, again, was a community health development role, similar to what we would consider a health promotion role here. And uh, I was also able to do a bit of volunteer work while I was there back in, I guess, uh, an area that then I was going to step further into, which was sibling respite camps for children who had a sibling, and they described this as a sibling living with a serious illness or disability. And uh, and I really, really enjoyed, again, that camp experience, that group experience, and also working with young people and young carers. Mm. I moved back to Australia and I decided to further my studies in public health. And soon after, I found myself working with young carers, coordinating respite camps and providing emotional support and referral. This was followed by close to nine years after this, working for a leading cancer charity, coordinating and delivering cancer support programs and cancer prevention programs. And it was eight years ago now that I founded Caring Kids and and here we are today. What was it like coordinating camps for young carers? Because I can't help but notice that the age ranges were between 8 to 26 years old, and that's probably three different generations that you had to cater for, not to mention the various cognitive abilities. Did you love that role? Because your face lit up when you when you talked about it. Yeah, and I uh, absolutely did. And I think you've you've hit it there. There are different ages and stages. So the children were grouped into eight to twelve, and then thirteen to seventeen, and then eighteen to twenty six, so that they were able to have age appropriate activities and support. That makes sense. And. Um, you know, there were so many fun things that, that that were on offer for young carers during the camps, things like archery and abseiling, campfires, talent shows. There was also a peer education component where previous participants, that is young carers who had been to a camp, would return and lead groups for other young carers. This is a bit like deja vu back in your SRC days at high school. Exactly. Yeah. So that it was all sort of coming full circle, and I was, uh, you know, back in a role where I was able to see that, you know, there were these young people who were able to uh, hear other people's story, uh, not feel so alone with their experiences, and you know, young people leading young people. And this was, yeah, taking me right back to those initial camp experiences and what inspired me to pursue a career in social work, you know, in the, in the first place. Yeah, I can understand that. What was the most significant moment for you in your social work career? Because you've had quite a lot of vast experiences. I think working in carer support, this was something that really moved me personally. And I wanted to raise more awareness of, of carers and young carers. And, 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 and this is why I started Caring Kids. I did hear, I was privileged to hear the story of so many young carers and also parents of young carers, all of whom demonstrated so much compassion, care, commitment, and in their role caring for their loved one. Yeah. And I was also influenced and mentored by a team of people I worked with who were equally passionate about finding new and dynamic ways to support carers. And there were so many carers and young carers during 
the time I was working in that area who bravely shared their stories, even publicly in the media to help raise awareness for yeah. other carers. Yeah. And it's it's really the culmination of, of the personal experiences of so many individuals and so many stories that inspires me to do what I do now. Which is amazing. You've worked with carers and young carers for so many years. What significant changes have you noticed over the years that you might like to speak about? Just touching back on the point um, I mentioned before about people sharing their story. And, and one thing I've, I've noticed personally over the last two years is how carers have been willing to share their story and also the health professionals who have dedicated their time and their expertise to speaking out about carer issues and things that carers feel they need and making change. There are so many people I have the good fortune to know and work with to this day uh, whose, whose, whose heart's desire is creating more support and recognition for carers. Perhaps the biggest thing that's happened in the last few years has been the introduction of the NDIS. And yes, I, definitely. I'm still grappling to understand the changes and the implications for carers uh, who are navigating, advocating for services and the impact on them as a carer and also the care recipient. For sure. Uh, I do think there's been some really great strides ahead in recent years with new support services becoming available and awareness of young carers in particular. These are things such as the National Young Carer Bursary Program and support available via Little Dreamers. Mm. When it comes to young carers, the reason why I'm so passionate about raising awareness is that young people don't have the same options or the capacity to share their voice as adults. It's their hidden nature, and that's sometimes by design. Young carers not wanting to be seen as different to their peers and keeping their story hidden at school or at high school. Mm. And brothers and sisters of children living with a disability or perhaps, you know, caring for a parent, not often thought of as carers. And at Caring Kids, we believe every every joy box, uh, a box of toys that we like to call a joy box, that is sent and received, that's part of the way that we can raise awareness and then the potential for more people to want to support and understand the carer experience. Yeah. And there are so many more avenues that are available for adult carers to know about how their experience and their woes and their grapples with their caring role are also shared with other people, right? That's right. And I think that has also been a significant change, whether it might be reaching into online support, you know, even listening to podcasts, uh, web-based support. There's there's options that might be flexible um, and and can happen at the appropriate time that a carer may need support. However, for younger carers, if we're thinking of the four to eight-year-olds, mm. uh, they they also need recognition and support. We try to break down that age barrier uh, by providing an age-appropriate service. Yes, of course. And that's to show these young carers that that we see them and and we notice them. Mm. And I think also too that I, I had a, a lot of young carers say to me, "I feel like nobody cares and nobody notices what I'm doing or thinks about me," and that always um, that's always something that I think uh, inspires me to to do what we do at Caring Kids. And what we're attempting to do is is find a way to demonstrate that we do see young carers and recognise and value them and all the care and the love that they provide. And we also want to share that sense of pride in their compassion, in their resilience and in their maturity uh, that they demonstrate each and every day. 
And we also know that young carers put caring ahead of school, their friends and play. And we want to keep that as our focus. And our mission is, you know, to reconnect young carers to childhood. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I know you've also said before that a person can be born a carer or become a carer at any time because there's always going to be people caring for their loved ones. And there will be you know, many carers in the future. Matching the carers to the support they need is really not a simple one-size-fits-all set-and-forget strategy. Totally. We, we need to listen, we need to share stories, and we need to provide ways for carers to educate and inform service providers uh, about their experiences. What advice would you give young carers and carers? Might be two questions, I don't know. One thing I've observed is that every caring situation is unique and so is every carer experience. And where one blanket suggestion or some advice might seem helpful, it rarely fits for everyone. Sometimes we just want to have the right answer or suggestion and hope that it can provide carers with a solution or comfort, but it lies within each carer themselves to find what works for them. Mm. And if it's about self-care, it's about how to go about finding this within all the time constraints and competing priorities of being a carer. And ensuring you schedule it, otherwise it'll never get done. <laughs> That's right. And and I just say, do what's right for you. If you wish to share your story and be heard, there's so many avenues to explore. Sharing your story is so powerful. It helps you to understand your own experience and it impacts on the people around you, whether you do that on social media, online support, see a face-to-face counselling, or just like one-to-one, just a coffee with a friend. Mm. And there may be others thinking, this is the last thing that I want or need. I, I, I'm someone who likes to, you know, they might think I'm, a, I'm somebody who really prefers a distraction, maybe to zone in on something you really like to do. And these things might bring you feeling of relaxation. It could be comfort or joy, like a hobby, a good book, watching your favourite TV show, or maybe just talking to a friend, you know, on the phone. Mm. Um, but I know carers can spend, you know, a lot of time also feeling exhausted and perhaps an endless list of things to do to achieve self-care, like eat well, sleep, so many hours, exercise, it can be out of reach for some. So I say just sneak a bit of it in whenever you can. But if you can't, just be kind to yourself. You're already doing so much. Yeah, that's right. And it's also important to teach our family that there is going to be some non-negotiable time where we need time to ourselves. It could be the 10 minutes every morning where we drink our coffee or tea. It could be a regular show that we wish to watch that's uninterrupted. It could be scheduled time to have a conversation with a loved one or read a book. It's important to teach people how we want to be treated, isn't it? I agree. And, you know, small steps, sometimes things might not go to plan, but it's the intention. It's just setting that time aside and if it doesn't turn out that day, giving it a go again the next day. 100%. And if it is all getting too much as it sometimes does and you might find yourself becoming anxious and perhaps not enjoying or taking pleasure in things that you used to, 
I'd encourage you to reach out to your GP and let them know how you're feeling. Perhaps if you can't leave home, book a telehealth appointment uh, there, or maybe even through the Carer Gateway, reaching out for support. This was something that wasn't available back when I was working directly with carers and a whole avenue of reaching support you know, at home is available now. Yeah, things changed a lot after COVID, didn't they? We had a lot more online resources that were readily available, including telehealth appointments. That's right. And I think a lot of the barriers that carers experience if they are unable to leave home for periods of time and things go are not going to plan, a lot of the tools and strategies that became, you know, uh, second nature to us during COVID have actually opened up a door for carers and also for carers who perhaps are living in, you know, regional or more remote communities yeah, where connect. there isn't a face-to-face service for you to connect. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Also with the young carers, I'd say if you're listening to this podcast or you might be a parent of a young carer, uh, wondering where they can go or where how you can support your child for, to find support, I would say also to reach out again to young carer support services that might be available in your area or online. And it's okay for young carers to spend a bit of time thinking about what they need because a lot of time is spent putting caring first. It really is okay to think about what you need for yeah. you. Margaret, you founded a registered charity. First of all, why a charity and not a business? A registered charity, like Caring Kids, is a public benevolent institution and all profits are there to help others. And the structure allows you to receive donations from the public who want to support your philanthropic work. I wanted to deliver a charitable service for young carers. And though we did, you know, operate a hybrid social enterprise selling items to raise funds, this was not our primary focus. I also believe that charity belongs to the people and it's governed by a board of directors, adheres to a constitution. It's not owned by a particular person like a business. So you are for the people. Absolutely. Tell us about (laughs) caring kids. And why is it important for our carers to know that something like this exists or they can even create something similar? Well, caring kids is It is a small grassroots charity and as I mentioned before, we distribute our toy boxes and we like calling them joy boxes and they're filled with things like toys and games and school stationery um, for eligible young carers. But it's important because many times, you know, young carers would tell me that they felt like nobody noticed uh, what they were doing and they might feel a bit overlooked and we we just want other carers out there to know that we... We want to give our time and our energy to, you know, putting a joy box on the doorstep of young carers so that they know that that this isn't the case. And I think they're important too, not just the sibling that needs or parent that needs that special extra attention, right? That's right. It's just a moment. And I I think parents have commented to us that when a joy box arrives, it's also sometimes an opportunity to have a conversation with their child who is. Uh, who is a young carer, and it opens up a dialogue about how they've been feeling and just provides a a lift in the home in that moment where they can also, they've been, it's not a reward, but it's an acknowledgement. It's an acknowledgement. And many times there are a lot of services and support that are always available to their sibling and they are always amazed and they say, oh, is, is this for me? Yeah. And we're like, Yes, it is. Just for you. Just for you. How can people help support Caring Kids? Caring Kids uh, receives no government funding and we rely on the generosity of our supporters and our donors. We are a small grassroots charity 
If you would like to help us bring more joy to young carers, I would encourage you to visit our website, which you can find at caringkids.org.au, and you can choose to donate a joy box to a young carer, and you can reconnect them to that joy and the wonders of childhood. Or you know, you can also choose to connect with us if you feel you want to support our work in other ways. And there's a whole range of ways that are available on our website. Yeah, I'll make sure that that website's on our show notes. My last question to you is, what do you do to avoid burnout as you run a charity, but you're also a mum of two? Yes, I am a mum of two. My children are aged eight and 12. And the best way for me to avoid burnout is to spend time with my friends and family. There's really nothing that I enjoy more. And it could just be a coffee, a walk together. Uh, I appreciate the moments I have with the people that I care about. And I I can't believe I made it this far again without mentioning COVID, but it did highlight for me how important our connection to others is for our wellbeing. Certainly. And and the one of the other reasons I really enjoy caring kids is the community we have there amongst our volunteers and our supporters. You have built a beautiful community. I think it might be time for your reward, which is a rapid fire wrap up question series. Do it. All righty. Okay. Hard question first. Did you ever believe in Santa Claus? Be truthful. The short answer, no. All right, give me a longer one. I don't remember a time where I believed in that Santa was real, but I do recall someone saying to me when I was about four, you do know he's not real, don't you? And I was like, of course. <laughs> I, I just always saw Santa as a mythical figure, a bit like Superman. But if any kids are listening to this, he is real because if you don't believe, he may forget to leave a gift under your tree. True that. What about the toothbrush? I'm not even going to go there with you. Okay. (laughs) What's the fastest speed you've ever driven in a car? 120 kilometres. I do like to stick to the road rules. I kind of don't believe it, but okay, I'll move on. What's your favourite carb? Pasta, bread, rice or potatoes? That's too hard a question. Uh, How about all of the above? Excellent answer. Can you touch your toes without bending your knees? (laughs) Yes, I can, but it's not as easy as it used to be. (laughs) All right, last question. When people stand up for a standing ovation, are you one of the earlier people to stand up or are you the one that stands up later? Earlier. I'm usually busting to stand up and I'm just waiting for one other person before I get out of my seat. I like people to see the impact they've made on me and clapping doesn't always cut it. Yeah, I can see that. (laughs) (laughs) Margaret, you've been amazing. Thank you for joining us today on Carer Conversations. Thank you for having me. My lovely carers. I hope you found this episode inspiring. As many of you know, my intention is to make the traditionally invisible nature of this role more visible. And like Margaret said earlier, it's through sharing our stories and pulling our resources together that we can help others feel more supported within the different realms of our caring roles. I know I say this every time, but liking, subscribing and giving us a five-star rating really helps these episodes get into the right listening ears for the people that need to hear them the most. I'll be sure to leave Margie's website in the show notes for you. And I wanted to say thank you for being part of our show over the last few years. This is the last episode for 2023, so I am wishing you happy holidays and a happy new year until we meet again in 2024. Our first episode next year will be very exciting for those of you that are considering New Year's resolutions, such as decluttering and getting organised for next year. Till then, take extra good care of yourself and don't forget to schedule the things that help you recalibrate yourself. From all of us at Carer Gateway, the Benevolent Society, we send you our love and best wishes for the holidays. Take good care of yourself.
If you are caring for a relative or a friend who has a disability, a mental health condition, a life-limiting health or medical condition, or are frail because they are older, please contact the Carer Gateway on 1800 422 737 or look us up on www.carergateway.gov.au. And if you're a carer, you're allowed to take time to look after yourself. Remember, everyone you care for is only as okay as you are.